Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. I'm regular host Aaron Percival, a.k.a. Corporal Hicks, and joining me as always is... Adam Zeller, a.k.a. Ridgetop. Eric Adams, a.k.a. Xenomorphine. And we're back for a... Con- not contemporary, that's the wrong word. Topical uh, discussion, talking about some of the recent releases of Alien. And this one is going to be one of those ones I fucking hate doing. <laughs> it's going to be an absolute bummer of an episode. Is it? I assume it's going to be a bummer of an episode because we're going to be talking arc two of Marvel's Alien, a.k.a. Alien Revival. So that's issues seven through 12. And Alien Annual number one. Also heralded as Ding Dong, the witch is dead. It's LaRocco's last. (laughs) Yeah. If he wants to come on and give us an interview, we're going to be completely impartial. (laughs) We We do not want LaRocco on this show. He has copied a lot of things, yeah. This is true. It could just take some of the audio and rearrange it around to do things. <laughs> okay, it, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I'm quite ambivalent to it at the minute, so we'll do we'll do brief. We'll do brief thoughts. We'll do a brief rundown of the events of the story, and then we'll go into specific. Like the first one, I thought it was okay, narratively-wise. I'm sure you guys will bring up points that I, I didn't think about and oh, will piss me off and, and make me dislike the comic even more. But as it stands, I generally enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. It didn't do anything new, but what it did was it explored other bits of the franchise that I generally get enjoyment out of. You know, the thing with the disease I like and it's an element that probably doesn't get played with a lot really if you think about it I think we've only really had Resurrections novel it wasn't even in the film Resurrections novel played with it and Aliens Purge played with it so this is actually a resurgence of of an element that hasn't really been used for a long time I can't remember when Purge was it must have been like late 90s so I like the characters I like Jane Um, I like the idea of the spinners but again it's not really done anything new they just seem to be a bit of an overarching form an overarching narrative forming with what Marvel's doing with what Philip Kennedy Johnson's doing so we'll see how it goes from there as always Lurica's art is trash and there's some terrible panels in there some terribly lazy panels but also some reasonably good ones like i think in issue one you know there's a nice piece of the chest burster that did not look traced and it actually looked decent because I, I could see it hadn't been traced and then you get to the awful money shot at the end where it's just figures floating on top of something so it's about as consistent as it always was we'll, we'll talk about annual towards the end but as it stands i think i'm five out of ten just middle of the ground you know it, it was okay it wasn't great, but it wasn't trash as an overall package. Yeah. So again, I I am glad that we'll be having a new artist if it wasn't very clear. And I guess they're restarting the numbering. So the next one will be Alien 1 again. But I'm kind of with you, Aaron. I think this was fine. It wasn't it wasn't great. There were elements I really liked about it in terms of the setting was quite interesting. How You had this very rural religious aspect about it, but you also had these incredible vistas of these atmosphere processors with like these little wooden barns and stuff in the foreground. And that sort of imagery was was cool, seeing a bit more of a dynamic alien world that looked very different to our own was interesting. The religious aspect 
almost kind of like Amish, I guess. It kind of reminded me of the vibe of this video game I really enjoyed, uh, Far Cry 5. That had a cult in it called The Path at Eden's Gate. And it very much reminded me of that a bit with the vibe of the religious aspect. But overall, the story, yeah, it was interesting. The art takes me out of it, but I agree with you, Aaron. There's a few panels where it's like, okay, that was pretty good. Like the alien looks pretty good here. And then you flip over to the next one and it's like, okay, now it looks terrible. So deadlines, I guess. But there were a few where I was like, huh, yeah, that one's pretty good. So it it is a bit jarring when you see panels and the aliens look so lazily done. And then right next to it, you see some that look pretty strong. It's just a shame this was how the Aliens comics started with something so average at, at best. But yeah, for, for me, it just, I think there were also some points where it tried to be kind of like, okay, when you're dealing with things that are horrifying or like effed up, it's a fine line between having something that's genuinely like horrifying and interesting and something that just seems kind of edgelordy. Like it's trying too hard, you know? Like, oh, wow, isn't this messed up, guys? And there were a few moments in this, just like the first arc, where it's like, I can see you're trying to be horrifying, but you're just making me laugh kind of things. So, yeah, it it had its weaknesses. If you're an Alien fan, it's it's worth a read, I guess. (laughs) That's my highest recommendation. I'd probably go with a five as well, Aaron. Maybe even a four for me, honestly. I'd probably say a four. See, then it's not worth a read if it's four. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I'll be nice. I'll go to five. You are allowed to not like it, not recommend it. It's just I'm I'm so like uh, about it. Like, I think after my intense dislike of the first arc, I'm just kind of at this one. I'm like, yeah, it's more of this. I have the same problems with it. You know, I think Adam just wants to mark it eh, out of 10 <laughs> eh, out of 10. Is it just burnt out now? Yeah, because a lot of the same issues I had with ARC 1 are, are the exact same issues here, even narrative-wise. like I'm still happy to see Philip Kennedy Johnson continue to write the series for a bit. It'll be especially interesting to see him work with a new artist because he does have some really interesting ideas. I like what he does with the corporate espionage and corporate conflict kind of stuff. And that was an interesting aspect of this with the whole subterfuge between the United Americas and Whaling Utani, especially when it comes to things being destroyed disturbing. And I don't know how much of that is just lost in translation between what Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing and what LaRocca is depicting. But it's it's almost like the shower scene in Covenant where we saw the trailer and it was like, oh, this could this could be like a really cool, disturbing, like Lambert moment. And then we see the movie and it's like, oh, that that was, you know, the slasher movie garbage people were worried about. And there's a couple scenes in this that it's the same kind of thing. I think there's a way to do gore and terror and even disturbing elements in a way that it, it's done right. But again, that's personal preference. You could you could be all for that. And like, I guess it depends on the context, too, because, again, I like AVPR and that has plenty of exploitative gory bullshit in it. That is literally what I was just thinking, because <laughs> it's like you appreciate that body schlock, I guess, kind of uh, horror. So it's like, and you're not liking it here. Is this just the LaRocco hate? Is Alien supposed to be like higher tier than AVP though? Like in terms of how it's done? Well, of course, it's supposed to be more <laughs> high up. But like thinking about comparing it to like the likes of 
labyrinth and how that depicts the kind of disturbing imagery and, and the body horror of what you know church was doing to everybody and, and the experiences in the hive that feels disturbing it doesn't feel schlocky when compared to this yeah yeah definitely I'd, I'd agree with you there and it's interesting because we just did a a very positive very glowing review on salvation and sacrifice also comics that had a very religious element about them before we dive too far Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Eric, your turn. Initial thoughts. What did you think? I'd agree in terms of the artwork. It is an improvement marginally. I think a favorable way to describe Roka's style would be stylized emulation. There are some panels where when he's doing stuff, or at least from what I can see, when he's being original, he's very good. He's on the money. But there are those moments where it is blatant copying so that's that is going to be a thing with this artist on whatever property he works on in terms of the story my view on it is similar to covenant with covenant i liked it up until david ape shows up at that point it starts to fall apart and have more of the issues for me in this part i kind of was liking this up to because it felt like a cross between alien 3 and the first of the avp comics because he had that similar plot elements at play. And I liked it up until where it changed from a nice little self-contained survival story, and then they switched it up and they tried to make it this big sort of orchestrated Machiavellian plot. That's where it started to feel a bit more generic. It stumbled over itself, and I, I was just thinking, no, I just want to see a survival story. Just, just give me that and give us the horror element. There are some points where things happen that it's a little bit, why did that happen? It's never explained like for instance there is a scene where there's someone who's cocooned they've got an, an unopened egg by them they can't move and action happens and an alien it can attack all the people that have you know caused the ruckus and what does it do it turns to the person who's cocooned waiting to be face hug and it kills them why I that did not that make any they're, sense. Yeah, they're fully cocooned, just head bites them. And I was like, wait, what? There are several scenes like that. It was actually gearing up to be a great scene. I thought, oh, I like this part where there are, because it deals with these Alien 3-like issues of an Amish community, and some of them just don't agree ideologically with the ones who've left. So they are all holding hands, and they're doing these hymns, and the aliens are coming in behind them and it could have been such a great fuck moment you could have seen them all getting abducted like apone did and you just thought you could have seen these arms going like that out into the shadows and what you actually get is the scene like in resurrection where it goes into the escape pod and it's just blood and you're thinking but these aliens know they've got eggs they need the people to procreate. They need to abduct them. And, and it loses the value it could have. So there are points in it, yeah. It, it becomes a bit too Alien 3-ish. But, but the story as a whole, as I say, I, I liked it up to the point where they try to turn it into this Machiavellian scheme. And at that point, it just got, no, you're tripping up over yourself. Just keep it a nice little self-contained survival story. But at that point, that's when it falls down for me. Up until that moment, there was some interesting things. And I wish it had taken the ball and run with it. Because as Aaron says, this doesn't really do anything new. You've had that, it's this same plot device in the Dark Horse comics, like the story which is literally called Alien, which it deals with a literally a tribal alien species, and there's a ship which crashes and it brings the alien to its planet. I think the, the one where you had aliens versus Vikings, I think that was an alien ship that crashed or something. My memory's a bit hazy on that. I think that was a tall tale, the Viking one. 
Oh, okay. But you go back to the original film. It's a derelict spacecraft. It's the space drug. It's crashed on the planet. It's always something from the outside world bringing it into the character's world. It's not new, but it could have been interesting. But it's when they mix it up with all the corporate politics and this whole thing about the synthetics who are wanting to be their own thing, but in actual fact, they're working with these company agents and you just think, why? I don't need this in my story. I don't think the synthetic thing was really... Didn't feel thought through. Well, I mean, in this, it's not... It doesn't didn't feel really connected to that sort of thing that the first arc was introducing. I mean, that was the vibe I got. You had that... Um, where is it? I've, I've written this quote. That you have literally a synthetic, really emotional... It's clearly a callback to Davy Dayton, sure, because they're, they're carrying around this synthetic as characters revealed to be a synthetic. They're carrying around its head to give them information. And there's a synthetic that finds the head and they go, look at this. They're collecting fucking Sith trophies. Are they actual cavemen? And you're thinking, Ash wouldn't care. Bishop wouldn't care. It feels like they synths, but they're making them go crazy and emotional. I'm just thinking, just make them human characters. There's no need. And it felt like they were bringing that whole synthetic colony who want to be synths and they hate humans subplot from the first arc they were kind of bringing it into that's how I felt it felt like it was connected on that level but it's as I said I just didn't want any of that to be there it could have been better by it could have been a lesson of less is more but they added to the pudding and it just felt like like Covenant did I don't think you're really going to be satisfied with any of this stuff then because it does feel like they are forming more of an overarching narrative with this. And the synthetic stuff's going to be a big part of it because volume three is all around it. Yeah, which is fine. But as you said, when you're having these really awfully emotional synthetic and you, you're doing things that just make the final product go, it could have been better without it. And that's how I felt with this. I liked it up to the point where it got like that and then it was Machiavellian. And I just thought, no, make it like Hadley's Hope where it's a tragic accident. Keep it like, because the alien seems to work best when things are tragic accidents. Nobody orchestrates them. They're just, it happens, shit hits the fan. The alien is the ultimate opportunity. They call it a perfect organism, but it's the ultimate parasitical opportunist, and it will take advantage of tragedy. And here it's... uh, So that's when it fell up. But as a whole, as the story, I did like the comic better than the first one. But it was still not up there as one of my favourites. It's an improvement, but it's one of those things where that's not necessarily saying much. But it does have its high points. What would you score it? Five, six out of ten. So we're all sitting about the same level. Yeah. I don't hate it. That's the thing. I don't hate it. I'm just saying that's the point where it fell down. But the, it's it's got some good stuff in there. But there's also some stuff that doesn't make sense and blah, blah, blah. So I just have to be honest and acknowledge that. That's all. That's fair. I was going to do a run through of this, but I actually want to, I kind of want to hear people's opinions. Are you listening to this having read the book and knowing after the fact, or do people want us to do a run through, a brief, quick run through of the events of the stories that we're going to be talking about? I'm not, I don't want to do it for this one, generally mostly because of that ambivalence. But if you have an opinion on that, please do reach out and let us know as to whether that's something you'd be interested in or you've already read it and you know and you don't really care. Yeah, that's something I've wondered about as well, because I, I do feel like most people that tune into the book or comic podcast have probably read 
read them. But even if you've read them, I don't know, is it nice if we just do like a refresher as to here's the basic events of the story? Or would you rather we just dive into open Or would you like us to do a drunk history thing where we get drunk (laughs) and we try to do synopsis of alien comics? We could do that. Hey, that's that's possible. I think there'd be a draw for that. Sounds like a different feature in itself. So, so where should where should we start with Alien Revival then? What what element do we want to talk about first? What did we feel most passionate about? Okay, I'll I'll say what I like the most. Okay. And it's it's unfortunate because it's the same thing I like the most about the first arc, and that's the covers. The covers are yes. <laughs> are awesome. I I like a lot of the imagery again with the alien and the cornfield. Like it feels almost kind of Halloweeny, and it's not a setting we typically associate with the Xenomorph. So a lot of the covers were just really striking with the alien on the windmill in particular, and seeing it in this very rural setting, and the Queen cover as well. Which one was that? Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, right. You didn't mean Queen Alien. You meant Queen oh, the Artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was a take on that. Run the paths, but it works. Yeah. And the variants, too. Some of the variants were really good, honestly. Who's the artist for the covers? This is not Guru EFX. No, it's not. Is no, it? he's, he's the colorist. LaRocca didn't do any of the covers. He might have done a variant one. He did the cover for Annual, which we'll talk about after this. But, you know, he didn't do any of the main... Okay. Mark Aspinall. Mark Aspinall? You killed it. Awesome. You're one of the best parts of this comic. Congratulations. And he's obviously Team Skull. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, because the skull under the... Yeah, yeah. He's in pretty much every single one of the, of the covers. So respect from me for that. Yeah. To be fair, I, and I think I think the I think he did a good job with the covers in terms of conveying that sort of midwestern feeling to the story. You know, you you were talking about like uh, the the Amish sort of vibe to it, but I, I think it feels very um, corn fed kind of, of, of feel to the to the vibe of the series. You know, kind of like the Eric Eric Red kind of vibe of farms in space. And I, and I think Aspinall did a good job of conveying that sensation through those covers. Pretty much all of them. You know, like the random one with the chicken in it and stuff like that yeah there are no chicken bursters in case people were wondering i know oh, there's something there's something weirder <laughs> there is yeah there is something from a non-human host but not people going chicken bursters yes but that was a great cover seeing the face hugger in the chicken coop mm-hmm. yeah so again in the variants too like i was just on marvel's website looking at the different variant covers and some of them are just phenomenal and so i'm like can we get artwork that is at least close to this good i know the covers are like the showcase pieces but can we get some artwork well we have new artists so and i i did look at their work and it does seem like it will be superior at least better for me personally and that's julius ota yeah and we've gotten a first look at the predator artwork as well i know this is an alien podcast but i'll briefly touch on it and it looks good it looks a little stylized kind of reminds me of predator hunters but it didn't turn me off i'm i'm for it so it, it didn't look like photoshop from what we'd seen so that is an instant boost up but I did. I didn't identify as much lifted elements in this this arc, Eric. So I think you're right about that. But someone did note that one of the ships at the end of the second arc was taken from Star Citizen, the game. Who I think that might have been Christian, yes. was it? Or it's probably um, Engineer on the board. Oh, right. But yeah. So I guess don't tell Star Citizen Company about <laughs> Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts' company, yeah. I mean, there was still lots of 
it's the same issues we had with Art One. You know, there are very obvious layered over figure photos that don't look connected to the scene. You know, and and that that's when it's at its most distracting. I mean, at the very end of issue one, you know, the last page is what's supposed to be this glorious money shot of the alien and a, <laughs> a newly hatched chestburster looking down over the church top, and it's this awful panel where it just looks like they're both floating. You know, they're both yeah. floating. It's the, the perspective issues, yeah. And then you have this lovely panel here, the second panel, where it's nice and minimal and it looks good. That happens with some of the action scenes because you have these great build-ups and you're going to see the aliens attack and then it's clearly these very sort of stiff action figures where the torso, there's no bending in the torso because it's literally a solid piece. The articulation's in the arms and he just traced over it and it looks like the aliens are literally just... It's I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like the scene we always criticise when we say, is there any flaw with Alien? Everyone always see, says it's the part where the aliens float outside the Narcissus because it looks really stiff. That's what these look like. And they're meant to be doing these dynamic poses where they're jumping and leaping. And because of that, it's harmed itself. And that's the tragedy of it because it could have been on there. You could tell it was written for the artist to go, do your stuff, do your thing. And then he's gone, yeah, okay, Photoshop, Photoshop, Photoshop. There's some really interesting set pieces in this that is, again, just mind-blowing. That was all right with Aliens, I think. But then you go to, like, the very next page. So that's issue three? Yeah. Well, right before that, you have this infamous one, which is just terrible. Yeah, that's but. that's one of the ones I was... <laughs> yeah, so that, that that just looks like layered over... It looks like literal layers, you know, there's the background layer, and then there's the next layer, and it just doesn't look connected. It doesn't look part of the same visual. Yeah. Someone's got a toy. They've got a toy yeah. and they've set a, yeah. pic- a camera up to do the, when there's movement, capture it. And they've just thrown the toy in midair. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the next page I was talking about. Like that looks like a toy. That looks mm-hmm. like, and like a toy, it does not look good. But on the very previous page, you have this, which I'd say is pretty strong. Does the job, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not immediately identifiable as a toy. There's a great shot of a close-up of the alien's face, where I think it's the first attack, but it's just this close-up sort of, it's slightly at an angle, and you see all the intricate tubing. It looks, I don't know if it's been traced, because it could have been, but that was a really good shot of an alien. I really love that shot. It just looked like it's got all that photorealistic detail, but then there are these other ones. It upsets the vibe, man. It's the stuff that's not the alien in general that I think looks good. So there's like, you know, Eric, you, you were alluding to the cocooned lady earlier that got head bit for no reason. You know, that that reveal of her cocooned to the um, greenery where, you know, the, the forestry where she is with the legs bitten off and the, the resin covering half her face as she's blind. That looked fantastic. And like the, the new aliens, the, the group, the, I call them groovers, two birds. They look fine. They look genuinely good and dynamic in their movement because he's not tracing something. You know, there is no tuber alien thing for him to trace. He's doing original stuff. So when LaRocco is actually doing something new, it looks good. But it's it's just so inconsistent. And that inconsistency is part of the, the badness of it. There is a slightly other problem there. I notice with a lot of the human figures, you've got this weird thing of sometimes they're having a normal conversation, but the facial reactions are really yeah. like extreme. 
Yeah. And you're thinking, well, like they're saying, oh, would you like a cup of tea? And the other person's going, cup of tea? It's the same like issue that. with it's- land. Yeah. The facial expressions can look very strange at times. Also, also the perspective, like where the floor meets the mm-hmm. background and stuff. It, it just isn't right perspective if you're trying to do perspective accurately. But some of my favorite panels were the ones like this, where you have like, yeah. you get to see the planets in the sky and you see the processor yeah. in the background and this old like mine in front of it. It gives it a sense of scale and yeah world as well there's another one where they're just driving in the all-terrain vehicle after they've escaped from the mines and you also see you know there's just a lot of beautiful vista shots in this the landscapes are where a lot of this does stand out a lot of the landscape stuff although in fairness it's possible he might have got just the landscape trace <laughs> we don't know but we will say they do look really nice what did everybody think of the the main character in this one then? What did people think of Jane? She hadn't see this is another callback to Alien 3 like Ripley had the well, again a chest burster inside where this character does it as well. You have this thing where you know she's she she's says at the one. start she eventually does she's face hug. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't take. Does it in record time and it falls No, off. no, the, the the idea is that it didn't it didn't finish through on it because of the disease. It, to me it looked like it did. There's nothing there that says it doesn't. But anyway, she's got this disease and she says, oh, I'm wasting away. All my nerve endings have gone, blah, blah, blah. And that's interesting. Like, Ripley has that similar sort of plot device and she's dying. But people were pointing out in some comment sections, it's weird she has this disease, but as she goes on, she's basically just becoming Machiko. She's doing all these awesome sort of Katniss bow and arrow shots and all the rest of it. She's having no trouble where it could have played into the story a bit more and it's like it only has that moral dilemma for her at the start of the story and it's as though they just forget about it it doesn't really lead to anything anyway they even say she she talks to the one character who's later got this big reveal but he's a priest or something and she says oh who did you tell about my you know this wasting disease and he says well they're not blind you're literally every time you stand up you're wincing you're coughing everyone can see you've got this wasting disease everybody realizes it and i haven't told anyone and yet she's doing a lot of these action sequences without any... There's no equivalent of, like, Ripley in Alien 3 when she's having the Queen chest burst, and it gets to the point where she's literally sort of, like, doubling over, and she's she's running out of breath. It could have been interesting, because you could have had a moment where she could have saved herself, but she gets winded or something like that, and nothing like that happens. And it's one of those moments where it could have capitalized. It sets something up really interesting that could have capitalized on, but it doesn't capitalize on it. I would agree with you in the sense that it's not there a lot, but I think it's there more than you think it is. You know, there's bits in the hive where she's stumbling over and falling over because of of what's happening to her. There's bits where they're walking through the the forest and stuff like that where she's stumbling. It doesn't have a, a, a massive impact as such, but it's there. And the stuff in the hive forces a different character to get killed and because she then becomes the target. And just to your, the chestburster point, at the very end of... The last issue. One of the assets has a rare disease that makes her unfit for implantation. Organism would not engage. Oh, okay. Well, then I have to ask, why in that case did it not just do like we saw in Aliens? It couldn't implant her, and yet it died? Why Why did it die? It should have just gone off and it just... It didn't deliver the payload. Yeah, but it could have just still lived like in Aliens. It was interrupted from embryo implantation, so they put it in the stasis tube, and it stayed that way for weeks. It gets killed. No, no. The it one... does. 
The ones in the stasis tube, they'd been like that for a long while in Aliens. The one that tried to attack her gets killed. Yeah, but it falls off and it's yeah. not it's not getting out of the way. It should be sort of moving out everywhere. It should be it's not doing that. It just it's just like it's it looks dead to me. I could be wrong, but it looks that's dead. That's just LaRocca's art. Well, in that case, that's a fatal flaw of the artwork, because to me it looked like she'd been impregnated in record to, like, Covenant time, because I thought no. that was a, a weird callback to Covenant. Looks like it's impregnated her. She doesn't chest burst, and it just looks like it's dead, when it should be still running around. You see, that that is not the reading at all that... Yeah. Well, that's my interpretation, then. But it's genuinely looked that way to me. It's just LaRocca's poor artwork, so... It's sort of, you know, it's sat on the bed, yeah, and then she blows it away. But, yeah, that's just LaRocca's artwork. I, I I figured all this from this issue. You know, at the moment it happened, I was like, right, she's going to be immune. It's going to be like the leprosy or the thyroid issue from, from resurrection or purge, and it's just going to be an immunity. They could have used that as a plot point, like they use Ripley in Alien 3. Ripley is the one who it doesn't want to hurt. So they could have used that. She could have twigged, oh, they're not doing their thing to me. They could have used that as a some sort of escape plan. But it doesn't... I think it's going to play into it. This all feels like very much a slow burn to a larger narrative. Like when I was first reading this arc, you know, the early issues as we're reading it issue by issue, it's like, oh, so this isn't connected to whatever the first one was called. I can't remember. Uh, arc one bloodlines bloodlines but it turns out it is this is wayland yutani field testing their their aliens you know it's the exact same ones from uh, and then in this you get this information going back to a different station i think is epsilon station they say and it all just feels like it's a very slow very slow burn into whatever sort of longer narrative that philip kennedy johnson's trying to run here so as it stands it feels like nothing's really happening but like this this was six issues just for this them to know that there's a disease that stunts the aliens and i didn't really comment on jane so i'll say as well that that i liked her as a character i thought she was an interesting dynamic character and how she had this personal choice of being the leader of this colony or abandoning them and going back to earth to have her disease potentially treated but that could have destroyed the contract she had and it would have negatively affected the people she was leading. So that was an interesting dynamic with her, how she wasn't even fully kind of a believer of this religion. And then with her friend Ambrose, who ended up being a Wayland yutani synth plant, that goes from a very friendly relationship to a hostile yet still kind of relying on each other relationship. And that was interesting as well, seeing her carry the head around the whole time in her bag and them talking to each other. I, I thought that was done pretty well, actually. I noticed it did Aaron's favorite unfilmed sequence from the Prometheus script in there. With holding her down. down for the face. Yeah. I felt that was deliberate. Like when you were talking about holding the head and the callbacks to Prometheus, I felt that was deliberate doing the unfilmed scene. Mm-hmm. And it also leaves the character open for the future because unlike Gabriel Cruz, she survives. So, and there's something of value she has that the company is interested in. So, although she's she's supposedly dying pretty soon, so who knows? Well, they did say she could be treated, so it makes you wonder if she's it's past true. the point of being treated or if it was just kind of coming up on that borderline. I guess if they bring her back, we'll see. See, this is one of the things I do like about these being six-issue runs. You know, I, I enjoyed actually getting to spend that extended time with her early on. This whole, I could have gone back 
and been treated and I was tempted to go back and do it. You know, it kind of speaks towards a lot of the, maybe not crisis of faith stuff from the last episode, you know, when we were talking about salvation and sacrifice, but conviction, I guess, you know, at what, at what point personal, what's the word I'm looking for? Her own well-being, her own well-being conflicts with what she feels of her responsibility to the others. And and I liked getting that time and, and that reflection with her. And then even towards the end when, you know, she's questioning, was this entire... It, it sort of gets towards that crisis of faith thing again. But at the end, it was like, is this, is this manufactured? Is this a fake religion that you've had some hand in? I like that the book doesn't answer that question, but the, the questions there in her head, I, th- I think it's become pretty obvious. I like that kind of thing. I like the self-doubt and, and, and the how far will you go for your own convictions? How far will you go for your own well-being? Um, I like to see that sort of stuff explored. So that was something I did actually quite like about Jane in here and that she actually stuck it out to her own detriment for the well-being of her flock, so to speak. And as far as she was concerned, you know, when we met her, once that deal was signed, she was going to fuck off and die somewhere. She was just going to, go off on her own and and let nature take her and I like that I like that strength of character that we see from her early on, regardless of, of, of the disease's effectiveness within the plot, you know, as it goes on. But just just purely from that character point of view, I, I did really like her. And even just the physical fact of her dealing with this pain and this disease, but still being a hell of a fighter, like with her bow and everything. I mean, you couldn't help but admire her as a character for, like you said, Aaron being selfless, but also in the face of dealing with pain, still fighting to the end. The head thing. Did you see the Ambrose stuff coming? I know I'm a, I'm a fucker for not seeing these secret synthetics coming up, but did, did you see Ambrose... Um, once it got to the scene with the eggs in there and he approached her and he's like, I told you to stay out of this, yeah. then I, then, yeah. yeah. But before that, I actually didn't. It seemed like they were genuine friends and it was kind of surprising. How about you, Eric? Was that sign posted a mile for you or? Mm, no, I, I thought he was human because I didn't see much point in making that character a synthetic. So, I mean, the reveal worked for me, but I don't know. It, the, the same sort of thing could have been equally done with a human character. There could just be a human operative doing that. I don't think the walking around with a head in your bag thing would work with a human character. No, though. no, that wouldn't. But you could have had like some sort of clue, like their mission statement or something. They could have found it on the body or something along those lines. I mean, yeah, it, it, it worked, but it just felt like it was a little too on the nose as a David's head and Shaw sort of analogy callback it's thing. It's something we've seen before in the comics, like Dust to Dust. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's strictly David's head, but I mean, it's, it's funny because that was that was one yeah. of the first things I said to Alex White when they brought us into the fold, <laughs> into Charybdis. I said, whatever you do, please do not just have an android's head knocking around in somebody's, <laughs> in somebody's bag, please, because yeah. it's done to death. I think that's ultimately where I'm so ambivalent with the comic as well is because nothing feels, it, it's all build up to this, this narrative, but it's all stuff that I've seen elsewhere. You know, I've, I've seen mm. it in a thousand other comics and it's not really entertaining me terribly much at the minute. And the new stuff, I can't figure out what Philip Kennedy Johnson's trying to do for a start. It's the same thing with the Alpha in, in, in the first arc, you know, in Bloodlines. And we were all sort of trying to figure out why it was a goat alien and and why everything that was supposedly derived from it was a normal alien. And then in this, you end up with these random ass tuber aliens that, I mean, I know we were talking about it off camera, but I don't feel like that would have realistically been <laughs> face hug because it's just a little snaky thing. Yeah. 
then it's behaving in this weird random way where it decides to go down people's throat. Goes for hammerpede. Yeah, I thought that was a hammerpede callback, but yeah. But it's it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be an alien. Yeah. It's supposed to be related yeah. to the alien. And then you but have it's one horrifying. of the... horrifying. It's crawling down their throats, so it's horrifying. You have one of the adult aliens sort of holding the mouth open, which I think would have been fucking brilliant if it was like facehugger related and, and holding down the human or yeah. turning his face. Sort of like the caresses if you get in the um in the trophy kills in AVP 2010, you know, when... Oh, yes. You get the harvest kills and you hold the colonists down and the facehugger crawls up and it does its thing and it's sort of like holding, caressing the face but no the way the the tubers were acting i was like but why you did see this bloated human in the hive so and i think one jumped out of him so it makes you wonder if they like breed in human bodies or something like yeah i think that was like the prometheus thing where they went up to um was it not firefield it was um milburn's corpse and one came out of it i think that was a similar thing why no, no, why exactly? Why do it? But I think that was the purpose of why they put it in there. They were just going, well, it happened in Prometheus, so... I don't understand how it works, I think. You know, and, and that's that's the same thing we had with the original and the goat alien. That's like, why is the alpha this goat alien when it came from a human host? So, I don't know, it sort of feels like either we're so... We're really early on in some narrative that where it's all going to make sense because they make a point of, of calling out the, the alien... You know, we we see these Wayland Yutani scientists. Dogs of perdition. No, the 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 scientists call them something. What oh. is it? Have you found hosts for the arthropod hybrids yet? Oh, they're they're talking about the tuber aliens because they then they say the the human ones because they're making a distinction. But so are we just early on and we don't know what the deal is yet, and it still feels kind of but why, and we're judging it based on that. Well, this is all we can judge it by. But I mean, I I think part of it is the writer is basically going, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is a viable viewpoint. If you're going to do a survival story, it was like I was saying earlier, do a survival story. You don't have to make it new if you don't want to, but make it good. And if you're making it feel a little generic, then there's more reason to throw some new stuff in there. But it's like I was saying earlier, with it just turning to this completely cocooned thing with an unopened egg and it kills her. Yeah, it doesn't it makes kill no sense. There's just some weird stuff going on here. I, I hate it when the aliens are shown just arbitrarily killing. It's like, yes. show me show me some violence in terms of helping you propagate. You know, break some arms so that they can't run away. Break some arms. So, well, I mean, like the alien, that particular host has her legs bitten off. You know, that is aggressive. That is violent. That is brutal. But then why are we killing? We'll just make it disturbing, yeah. But I mean, it's not just the alien, like the whole thing this goes to the root of. There's this colony of like space Amish people, and they call it, forget what the place is called, Eurysides, I think. Um, the planet they've just they've handed it over to them, but they later the android head said, Well, we found it objectionable, it was handed over to you. And it is meant to be this thing about, Oh, well, they they operated the terraforming process of things, but in aliens, Burke literally says, completely automated. So they weren't any need to have people operating the machinery there in the first place. But I get it. I get it as a plot point. They wanted to just have space farms and just have the visuals there because it makes like a nice visual contrast aliens with medieval stuff but you know you ask yourself why were they even there why were they getting an entire planet to themselves as opposed to just like a portion of a continent or something there is no reason it just it gives us a grounding for the her 
subplot with the disease to stay there, blah, blah, blah. But when you ask yourself, well, why are they even there? Then you go, that there was no reason. So you get these logic flaws cropping up every so often. I did get a chuckle out of the prospect of a lever to, to turn the um, atmosphere. Yeah, just the big the handle with the red yeah. ball on it. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, I didn't. That made um... me chuckle. <laughs> I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, Eric. There's also another point. I thought when the ship crashed and you had, all, you saw it, there were lots of eggs, and she even saw fully grown aliens. That I thought, oh shit, they're gonna go. You're gonna see them invading farm animals and all stuff. Like that. And yet, you get to the next section and they're just they're having this thing like in alien 3 where nobody believes her and they literally say we searched the wreckage after the fires went out there was nothing on that ship but dead people and i'm thinking why didn't you run into the eggs why didn't you yeah. run why didn't you get immediately abducted and you just weren't and it's one of these things where the comic sets itself up to these things and you go oh shit yeah. they're on now but nothing happened or it goes in a yeah. weird direction it was just, so you for just the purpose have to be prepared of for weirdness drama yeah but I will give some more praise to LaRocco, surprisingly. Like, again, going back to these, like, panels like this. Yeah. Explain for the audio listeners. So this this is a panel that's, again, another vista where we can see a little, it looks like a kind of refinery or industrial setting, and then this atmosphere processor towering over in the background with our characters arriving at another one of the settlements because theirs was overrun with aliens. And so they're going through, on their way to that, this like golden wheat field. I was going to say wheat, another coven callback prequel, everything's wheat is bright orange sunset, but it also kind of reminds me of like Vincent Ward's Alien 3, right? Because in the yes. following scene, you have the aliens attacking them through the wheat fields. As he's coming up on prey. Right. And beyond that, there was also the sense that they didn't like technology, but they had to rely on it. So that was another kind of connection to Vincent Ward's Alien 3 for me. So I did see those elements and, and the religious aspect as well. So there were things in this comic that, yeah, that's interesting. Like you could have taken this somewhere more, you, you know, and even visual elements that LaRocca did where I was like, that's very impressive. I like seeing these huge planets in the sky because this is a moon. And like we got a little bit in the movie Predators. And I think that's something that is really cool to see especially on an alien planet is these massive other bodies in the sky sometimes. I mean, not all the time because you don't want to overdo it. You still want it to be like grounded sci-fi. But on occasion, having those more awe-inspiring sci-fi elements could be a benefit, I think. Or even just a reminder. That we're on another planet, yeah. What you just described, a lot of that is down to this really gorgeous coloring. But the coloring yeah. in this... LaRocca is lucky he's had Guru FX working on this one in the last arc with him. When you say about the planets and you actually see them, there's that nice sort of melting into the atmosphere vibe in it. Like, as you said, like happened in Predators, you saw that in live action. But you really get it in here. You have a lot of these landscapes and the colouring they do. It's amazing. The only thing I wish they would have actually done more of on this, it would have been really neat to see all the farmland. It would have been like sunlight before tragedy happens. And then it would have been nice to see that same kind of lighting with rain, rainwater happening all over this jungle planet and the farmland. I can't remember the last time we saw jungle in a recent alien car. I know we did in Sacrifice. We were recently yeah. talking about it. But I think it's been a long time since we've seen jungle environment, hasn't it? Well, there's also the scene where they're hunting the deer in the beginning and it's very avatar looking the planet yes. it's like yeah. they have these crazy trees with colorful flowers and stuff but it doesn't really maintain that through the story it's only in that initial scene where the planet looks more exceptionally alien-esque and then it kind of pulls back from that we had some jungle in resistance 
is the last time I remember yeah. it. Yeah. But that's about it. The traveling across different environments was interesting in this, especially as a way to show them moving, you know, away from their home, away from their terraforming station was nicely done, I thought. But you know me, I'm always interested in seeing hived up forest and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And I'm waiting for it to be done on a bigger scale uh, and a more substantial scale. But that, that's kind of why I like that initial scene with the woman with, with the legs bitten off and stuff like that, because it was set within that. Well, I liked the um, visual where it's, I don't know if it's like some trees that have been pulled back, but the an- entrance to the hive, yeah. where it was actually within the environment, they weren't just like typically you just see them in a basement or on a spaceship. You actually see them using a natural environment. Yeah, they had like burrowed in the ground there. That was yeah, cool. That it was, was like nice. kind of Sleepy Hollow-esque. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was cool. Anything left to say on this one, or should we go to the annual? Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm curious as once we restart here and have Alien 1 again, if Philip Kennedy Johnson's going to continue with elements of this story, because like you've been saying, Aaron, it seems like he's been building something. But if they're restarting the number, if he's working with a new artist, you have to wonder. It, it won't. I won't worry about it. This is a Marvel thing. You know, yeah. they re- they restart numbers quite a lot, but it's just another volume. So like we've had volume one and two, this is just going to be volume three of Alien, even though it's Alien 1. Gotcha. Okay. And it seems to be a continuation of what we know of the other ones anyway, because I think it's going to be focused on the synthetic movement that we... What was her name? The the woman, the female uh, synthetic at the end of uh, the first arc. You know, it seems to be like an android freedom kind of thing that's going to be in volume three. Also comes out paperback under Revival, August 24th. Oh, okay. They've put, they've put that back then. So if for some reason you haven't read it yet and want to read it after listening to this... There you go. But, you know, I'll get it on the completionist, whatever. Yeah, but same. I bought Resistance, so. We, we said in the last episode, we're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> We've said, like, out of 10 review scores, but I think that a better way to just give a yes or a no to a story is just basically, like with a film, how much rewatch value has this got? Do you think you will go back and reread this, or are you fine with just, you've read it, you're not bothered with ever going through it again? It depends because, like I said, it feels like this is early part. This is why I never liked doing reviews of individual issues because mm. I didn't have a complete picture. And, and it feels like this is very much the same where I don't have a complete picture. And it's also not quite functioning as its own thing because the things that are, are sticking out are things I dislike about it. Mm. So I, yeah. I don't know if it's if it's my impatience or unfairness towards the way the narratives unfold in my impatience towards it or not. But like as it as it stands, I don't really desire rereading them. You know, maybe yeah. that'll change as there's things introduced in like another arc three or arc four where where it cotton it makes me think of something from one of these earlier issues and I go back and I reread it. And maybe I have a further appreciation for what you know little elements or little details in there that then become more significant or more more interesting because of what it's doing later on down the line i can't say yet i would hope so but as it stands as it stands not not really i mean yeah it's like i said at the start of it i'm just so ambivalent about these marvel alien comics at the minute yeah i have more fun with the standalones <laughs> i have more fun with with annual one and and um aftermath even though they're still not really great yeah, see, and that's what I've been missing really with the Marvel stuff is I want those more self-contained stories that we saw with Dark Horse. And I think you can do that in tandem with the more interconnected stuff. Dark Horse did it. They did both. They had their self-contained and they had their big events that would cross over and stuff. So I think there's room for both. I think there's an appetite for both. And, you know, I do appreciate that this arc differentiated itself 
significantly from the first. It was a new group of characters. It was a new planet. Uh-huh. There were a few tie-in elements, but it wasn't anything significant. So it did feel like we were getting a new story here, and I did appreciate that. But I would like to see like things with a totally different creative team. Or just complete stories as well. Yeah, that feel like they're over. Yeah. Yes. Give give me a six. I do think six issues is a good number because I do think it means they don't have to yeah. rush through things. It was a good amount. Give give me a six issue thing that feels complete. These do not feel complete. On to the next one. <laughs> On to annual number one. And this one is called Aliens, right? Not Alien. No, still this Alien. This is Alien? Okay, yeah. so the only Aliens comic we've had from Marvel is the one they did with Vasquez's nephew, mm-hmm. which was called what again? Aftermath. Aftermath. That's right. So that was their first one shot, and this is their second. Although they, this one's under the Alien line because it also fits into the, the narrative from Bloodlines. Kind of, a little bit. It kind of makes me wonder why, that, without going back and rereading Bloodlines, kind of makes me wonder why LaRocco um, La stuck it out somewhere. Well, it looks like LaRocco. Because it is LaRocco. <laughs> but why he stuck with the company after all that yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah, because it seemed like he was genuinely, well, I don't know how surprised he was in the first arc. He knew they were up to shady stuff. But yeah, I mean, pretty much trying to kill him in this one, and he like sticks with them. It's like what? it seems like this one played into um, Fireteam Elite as well with the synth yes. design. I mean, I, I know it, it said that in the press much. release. Did he, did it not remind you of Alpha and Beta? Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's Charlie, but that was the only real tie-in element was just the the combat synth, and that was it. But again, you have that Alpha Beta Charlie. That felt like another one. Yeah. For the uh, the press release, they said, we had an opportunity to tie the films into one of my favorite games in recent memory, Aliens Fireteam Elite. Since the moment I played that game, I wanted to see Gabe in his prime with his fellow soldiers face-to-face with Xenomorphs in combat sense. That's what readers and gamers will see in this annual, a chapter that belongs on the shelf alongside the films, but also alongside the beloved game that my fellow superfans have spent so many hours playing over the past year. It doesn't really tie into it. It's just right. Charlie. That's just the only cameo. element. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I, I I love seeing that design in another yeah or, or elements you know something obviously inspired by that design in in another piece of the, the law. So do we want to do quick thoughts, quick review for this as well? <sighs> we'll just crack on with that one. There's not terribly much to really. Okay, I'm gonna give it a score. I'm gonna give this one a four. I had the same issue that I had with Aftermath, and that it's too short. I feel like one shots are the opportunity to kind of bridge that gap between a comic and a graphic novel or even just go full graphic novel length, you know, because it's a one shot. Like, just I don't know. I don't know if things just work differently with Marvel, but like it just seemed too short. And that was the same problem I had with Aftermath. It seemed like right when it was ramping up, it's just over. And with this one, it just rushes through. It's extended, mate. This is bigger than a normal issue. Well, it didn't feel like it. Like it felt super rushed and extended by 20 more pages or something like this is like the short story argument that we had in um in the ultimate prey episode where you were saying you know things like it felt like the start of a a narrative it's just the way these are done well there's even a point like after this unexpected thing happens to their ship and they have to survive on their ship for a while it's just it shows a couple panels it's like 20 something days later and i'm like cool that would have been interesting to see them surviving on that ship but would it (laughs) if they just held up in in the mess hall for 20 days 
I don't know. You could have at least done a couple scenes of some of them getting picked off, yeah. but it just felt like it was so rushed. And yeah, I was kind of intrigued by the whole Fireteam Elite connection that they mentioned in the press release. And it just felt like a cameo, like you were saying, Eric. It was like, okay, there's Charlie. He yeah. looks like the combat sense in the games, but I, I thought it was going to actually tie into some of the narrative elements of the games a little bit. But I went into it completely forgetting that from the uh, the press release. So that wasn't even a blip on my radar. I was just like, oh, cool. That looks kind of like Alpha and Beta. And it didn't bother me <laughs> because of that, I guess. I actually found it entertaining in what it did with Dash. Ash on the Marion again, really? <laughs> As I said on the post in, in the forums, it's like, I don't remember Out of the Shadows well enough to know how well they marry up. So it's probably just an alternate an alternate take on it because Marvel doesn't really seem to be connecting with Titan, really. It doesn't seem to be the case. So in that regard, it's kind of like doing what Aftermath did, where it's like, oh, we're going back and doing what we've done before because we've already revisited Ash returning and Aftermath was, we're going to go back to another Vasquez relative, which we've done before with Dark Horse. So it feels a little bit like treading over the familiar ground again which is a bit of a disappointment but for those who haven't maybe read out of the shadows and get a thrill from seeing i know eric probably hated it because of uh, the depictions of the androids but i i liked seeing my crazy synths come back so i actually got a little bit of a kick out of out of ash showing back up and and the whole you have my sympathies panel i normally i normally hate reused dialogue but because it was the same character and and the same sort of vibe from that table head scene i was like this this is entertaining i like this it's stupid but i like this it's stupid but i like this. i think that's how <laughs> I'd, I'd sum up this particular yeah, i mean you're edging that before dangerously too, so. close to you criticizing adam for liking requiem and yet dislike that's what i was thinking i know yeah. i do seem to like these one shots even though <laughs> they are stupid. stupid stuff but i like this because it's stupid <laughs> I mean, it was, the, it was the same for Aftermath, you know. As I read it through, I was like, oh, this is entertaining. And then it's like, yeah, but that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. Why did I like that? Yeah. But it was, I will say it was odd having Ash again brought back in another device on a ship called the Marion. I had to like do a double take for a second. I was like, wait a second. Is the ship from that book coming into play here? Was it the shuttle or was it the actual ship in that? Um, it was their ship they arrived in was the Marion which is the same name as the ship from Out of the Shadows that Ash came back on the Narciss Narcissus computer. Yes, he was, yes. Right, so I was going to say, was it meant to be the Ash? Or is it just yeah. a, another No, not AI in this one. In this one, Ash. it's not the Ash. Yeah, so it's, it's another it's one the that's shadows. called Ash. No, it, it's supposed to be the Ash. Well, they, they mention it in their stupid mustache twirly business meeting in the beginning. They're like, oh, an old construct from... So I think it was yeah. like the Ash mind that they had on file or whatever. Oh, that's not the read I had. I'm going to see what he said. It's like where you get, like in the same series, in fact, where you had a bishop, a bishop model. It felt like yeah. it was, it was, this was an Ash model with similar mannerisms, but yeah. it wasn't the Ash. I, mean, I, I don't know. So he says, do you have an operating system in mind? I do. One that has history with our bioweapon. I'm confident it has the company's interest at heart and it won't balk at a few deaths for the greater good. This is just in a business meeting, by the way. It's that talk there that made me think it was the same one because, <laughs> know, right. because it's like the operating system equals consciousness. Well, it's, well, it's, no, it's again, like there were multiple Davids. There were multiple, yeah. just like Eric was saying, there's multiple bishops. Like Windows 10, people have got different, but it's all Windows. That's the operating system. 
But if they knew Ash was particularly dedicated to protecting the alien, they could just do a copy of Ash. I you know? guess we'll never know. It's not it's not the deadly synthetics you insert on a mission, it's the friends you make along the yeah. way. Unless he somehow survived in the computer in the Narcissus and they extracted him later and held on to him just for such a circumstance as this. I mean, that's, that was just my takeaway from it. I'm surprised somebody hasn't asked him on Twitter yet. Or maybe they have. Well, we'll have a look to post in the news in the news article that goes up with this. I, I will say this is distinguished as an alien comic for having that twist in the tale where it seemed like both this Ash or the Ash, whichever it is, Ash and the alien still, they survive at the end. The human character goes off, but they didn't destroy the alien. It's still there. And it's just, yeah, still just knocking about on the ship. Orbital laboratory, as it were. Yeah, that's that's rare to to find. Whether or not it worked, I mean, did, was it an anticlimax to see that, or were you expecting that's going to be dealt with as a situation, or did it? I feel- mean, end of the day, end of the day, the the hero got away. Hero. Mm survived to live another day so I, I can't say i really it really got a blip out of me i also think the story didn't really run with its setup too well because they talk about using the alien as a bioweapon against these rioters uh, extremist groups that are again anti-corporate extremist groups that were in the first arc right well, and in aftermath as well yeah, so I guess they're they've taken over the space station of Whaling Utanis, and Whaling Utanis is going to use the organism on them. And again, it, uh, those sorts of things always remind me of that old artwork that was part of the Replay Watch campaign that was like so cool. I, I just always think back to those. It's a, a really awesome concept. And so I was like, oh, cool, we're going to see them use the alien to. And again, like the business meeting thing was mustache tortly, but the idea itself was they're going to use the alien to cause an outbreak against a group they are against they have issues with and i was like that's that's a cool concept but then the station just fires missiles at the ship that arrives and disables it and then the company just comes in and nukes the station and i'm like wait you just like nuked your setup there of the aliens on this station and now they're just surviving on this ship and we skip past all that too so it just seemed like it didn't really go anywhere with the intriguing setup that it had in the beginning i mean even that concept I, I I've often said on the forums the the alien does not make a good weapon, and it's if they're going to use it against rioters. Like firstly, rioters typically do something where there are cameras, where there's media attention, so you can't release it against them anyway. And secondly, if you just want to kill them all, just do a use a bomb or use just sending droids with guns or gas them. The camera thing is a really good point because it starts out with the footage from the the riot. Yeah. And you're not going to use an alien in that. You're just going to use a. You might as well throw chainsaws at them. It's not going to do anything. Eric's never been keen on the idea of of the aliens for urban pacification, have you? No, because Ren was insane. (laughs) I mean, he was literally insane. Well, not literally, but he was kind of. He wasn't a military strategist in that film. He was just. Well, it was beyond just coming up with. I mean, the company wanted it for the bioweapons division, and maybe that goes beyond just aspects using the the creature as a weapon. Yeah, aspects of the alien, and this was also delved into a bit, sometimes in silly ways, in the Whaling Utani report. If you read that, of all the different applications. I mean, it's not like the the older babies in explored it a, a lot as well, but it always does tend to come down to them being foot soldiers. 
and it's why I kind of like it's such an some of the other stories. Lazy concept. Use like what is about the, like the sensory apparatus of an alien. It's something that was able to figure out the precise location of the Marines from way over in the atmosphere processor. If you were able to figure out how the alien was had that kind of sensory apparatus, that alone would be a huge patent. But just sending aliens themselves out, it's like someone with pulse rifles. I think if done right, it can work well. And that's why I keep going back to that that read, play, watch concept art that I was talking about, Aaron, is because that was that idea, but presented in a way where it looked genuinely terrifying and intriguing. And again, Resident Evil fan coming out and me here, like you have the evil corporation, they want combat data with all these bioweapons they've developed. And it's kind of that parallel for me. Yeah, I mean, when you are looking at it from the perspective of doesn't matter if they'd be good or not in reality or whatever, but this is what they're doing. The idea of field testing it and getting data for that works for me. But the the other possibilities of the other uses of the aliens is something that I do find interesting. I think it's something I talked about when we did the Infiltrator, the Fireteam prequel. Yeah, it was Infiltrator, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with all their experiments. Yeah. It was one of the missed opportunities, I thought, in that, where I was kind of like, oh, it's just acid-proof armor. That's so boring. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, anyway, that's all besides the point. That's all besides the point. So this one, for me, I enjoyed less than Arc 2, because at least with Arc 2, we had some interesting bits of art and story. But this one, I felt like it just kind of fell flat on its face. I liked Aftermath a bit more, even though I also had a problem with Aftermath that it had a really good setup and then just rushed through and didn't pay off that setup. And good art. And good art. Yeah, that one had really good art. Is this one you'd revisit? No. Let's let's do better with Alien Marvel, please. What about what about you, Eric? It had some nice individual things of like Ash doing a David A impression, basically. Like in at the end of Covenant, what's he doing? He's essentially using the Covenant as his own private rat maze and he's trying to test the alien out it had some nice little spooky scenes with ash doing that and some of the dialogue as ash carried on i could kind of hear ian holmes say some of it i couldn't but there was some if you're a fan of ash i mean there's some interesting stuff here didn't really care for it too much as a story as a comic it felt a bit generic but it wasn't bad it's like the other the other one. It, it's not a bad comic. I just it could have and should have been better, especially in terms of the kind of horror situation. Like you think yourself, this is essentially like a Nostromo situation. You are trapped somewhere with what well, could be several aliens. For all you know, what are you gonna do with that? Like that is a sa- that is a sandbox. That is a little toolbox for a writer. Do some disturbing shit. Give me terror. You don't quite get that here, but you if you're a fan of that kind of like what would Ash have done, like when he's cornering Ripley and the kind of things that David Ape does, I think this is that kind of story for you, if that's what you're into. But that's not really what I'm into. I said I think they could have and should have done better, but I, I didn't hate it. It was an it was an, an okay average comic, but as Adam says, do better Marvel, please, because you're given this amazing <laughs> given this amazing franchise. Look back into the heritage you are given. You can do better than Dark Horse. Give us that. But we're kind That's of being sacrilege, given these. Eric. Yeah. Sacrilege. Dark Horse came to some good stuff, but it also gave us some bad they stuff. They also had their stinkers too. 
Resistance, <coughs> rescue. We could have some really good stuff, but we it just felt a little generic. I want these stuffs to be like sacrifice, where I, yeah. even if it's not a mind fuck, I want it to be something where I'll go, wow, that made me think, or what would I do in that situation? Things like that, and this felt kind of A to B. Once the reveal of Ash has hit, it's like it's blown its load. Does it lose the momentum for you? Yeah, so long as you're interested in that kind of vibe that Ash had with Ripley and David ha- had with, what was her name in Coven? Daniels. That kind of thing, without the sexual subtext, obviously. I think it'll do it for you. See, that's, that's probably why I got a lot of enjoyment out of yeah. this one, because I do like that vibe. I already had that revisitation in Out of the Shadows, so it just kind of felt redundant for me at this point. Yeah, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't the same vibe in Out of the Shadows, I don't think, no. anyway. But this is one of the reasons I didn't like Out of the Shadows, because I was thinking, well, this is Ash. You can do some really full-on stuff with Ash. This one, also, I felt like it squandered the opportunity to do something with Ash. I think they could have just made it an original synthetic character. They could have even just said, it's David 8. They could have brought back a David 8 AI. It would have been fine. It felt like they didn't capitalize on what Ash is capable of personality-wise, and it's like it was a cameo name check. That's fair. I mean, I think ultimately you you only really get what two, three, four pages maybe worth of actual Ash in mm. in the story. So you know, I, I completely see what you're saying. It didn't go that extra mile it could have done. So it's like interesting, but could have not not quite there. Which I think is is the vibe we're all feeling with Marvel's handling of Alien. You know, it's got to the point where. When a new issue of a Dark Horse comic came out, I would go and get it from the shop straight away. Yeah, I would be legitimately yeah. excited to go to that comic shop, maybe even leave work 15 minutes early so I'd get there in time before the shop closed and pick it up. And I would be excited for it. I'm not I'm not rushing to get these comics at the You've minute. You've got jaded like me. I'm still excited for the Titan books. You know, I'm still excited to see that copy turn up in the post. But that's just not how I'm feeling with, and, and this is with the tragedy that was Colony Wars, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm I'm still excited. I was still excited to to get Inferno's Fallen. I was still excited to get Eyes of the Demons. You know, that excitement's there for that, but not with not with the Marvel stuff at the minute. But again, it's not bad though. You didn't hate it. You just thought, eh. isn't that worse? You know, it's painfully it's- average to sub-average. It was a fun little comic, but that's all. It didn't feel like it lived up to the what it should be. I think I'd rather more passionately hate it like I did Hanukkah in, in Infiltrator or, or Colony War than just not care. I'd, I don't know. Maybe it's just me being weird. Well, I'm just trying to revert because we had that nice sort of kind of like, it wasn't optimism, but we, we felt like we were up there on the last episode and you hate being, when you say negative. I don't want to feel negative about this. It's, it's this just... isn't negative. This is, this is yeah. low energy ambivalence <laughs> is what this one is. That's a good way of describing it. Which is a shame, but I'm really fucking looking forward to the, this weekend. Oh, yeah. I was telling you, and I was like, we need a good negative podcast after how, how good I felt about Prey. So you cursed it. You jinxed it. <laughs> so I'm, I don't know if I'm getting invited to any Marvel after parties, but... This this was always going to be this kind of episode. I don't, I don't think it was ever going to be anything different, which is another reason why I wanted something joyous last episode, basically. I think basically it's fair to say if you have been enjoying the Marvel comics so far, yeah. you will continue to enjoy this. If they haven't 
done it for you so far. It's basically it's still on the rails. It's more it of the same. Yeah, it's more of the same. So if you liked them, you'll like this. Unfortunately, we didn't love them, so we are going to be honest and say, eh, didn't do it for us. But I think if mm. you liked them, you'll like these. It's pretty much more of the same, as you said. And the yeah. covers are great. The best part of the comic for me, again, same with the mm-hmm. first arc. Yep. Just yep. The, the standard covers and the variant covers. Awesome. You're killing it there, Marvel. Like, that part's good. But anyway, next episode, I'm really looking forward to. I'm gonna. I'm so looking forward to talking Prey. I'm so looking forward to some of the interviews we have booked in to do with Prey. I'm going to have so much fun over the next couple of months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, August and September are going to be good for that. And we'll, yeah. we'll have Inferno's Fall to talk about. We'll have uh, Eyes of the Demon to talk about. It's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy the next couple of months. I'm really looking forward to it. But I, I don't really want to talk Marvel anymore. Are you guys done? Well, when Marvel Predator launches, we're going to have to... When is that coming, by the way? Isn't that finally this month? Yes, but it will not talk I mean, about it will wait to the completion yeah. of the, the arc, right? But hopefully that doesn't have the problems that Alien has had. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure to head on over to the homepage, avpgalaxy.net. If you're interested enough to put the effort in to come and sign an account and talk with us on the board, talk about Prey with us, talk about, you know, even the thread. I went back and I reread the thread for this today because I was like, when did I cotton on to the uh, to the illness thing? And I was like, the, the bulk of the discussion in the thread is just about LaRocca. There's like no interest in the narrative going off here. It's a distraction, and that's why I'm I'm still interested to see what Philip Kennedy Johnson can do with artwork that is not a distraction. And if you are discussing this on the forum, I know the temptation for people who didn't like it is to like lay into the artwork, but maybe try and spark some discussions of how you feel, like what would you have done story-wise to improve it with the same elements. Do constructive criticism, because there's not enough of that. But yeah, I mean, people don't seem massively interested in the narrative is more mm. my point at the minute. Yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't elicit the same issue by issue discussion that used to go into, you know, things like dust to True. dust and defiance and stuff like that. But whatever. So come and join in with us. There's plenty more discussions on there. And if you care enough to sign up, we're interested to talk to you. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, obviously YouTube as well. If this is where you're experiencing the podcast, if you're not, then we're on Twitter. I mean, we're on YouTube as a AVP Galaxy or Alien versus Predator Galaxy versus as in VS. If you want to follow me personally, I'm at underscore Corporal Hicks on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RichTop21 on both Instagram and Twitter. This has been episode 149. Uh, I'm looking forward to 150. Thank you everybody for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks. RichTop. Xenomorphin. Signing off. <laughs>